Well, we're back in the book of Jude. Don't forget next week, uh, Ken Needham will be with us on Wednesday night and then again on Sunday. And uh, But tonight we're back in our study of the book of Jude. And we've been looking at the characteristics of those who deceive. And that's what this whole book is about, pointing out to us how we need to contend, <coughs> contend for the faith. And we've looked so far in terms of the attitudes they reflect. We talked about the explanation of those attitudes. We said that they're immoral, they're insubordinate, and they're irreverent. And those are the three characteristics of the attitude. And then we talked about last week the experience of Michael, uh, the archangel, and the devil, and how even uh, one of God's holy angels would not bring an accusation against a fallen angel because of their reverence and their respect and their their understanding of who they are and uh, what their place is and we noticed that 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 michael said no the the lord's going to take care of you it's not my place to do that and tonight we want to look at the extent to which these false teachers will go in really manifesting these attitudes how far will they go and and so we're going to be looking specifically at verse uh, 10 in 11 but uh, before we we read the verses you know it's it's really the calling it should be the calling i should say of any faithful shepherd or pastor to protect the sheep that's what we're entrusted with Um, it doesn't matter whether you're uh, the shepherd of a church or maybe you're teaching a sunday school class or a home bible study as a Bible-believing Christians, we, we, are, we are called to protect those whom God puts under our, uh, our mantle of teaching. And, and so a lot of pastors uh, today are trying to do that the best they can. And um, it's not a place for someone who is going to exhibit cowardice. You're not going to do very well in that situation if you're uh, going to not be able to confront other people about their beliefs. And it's also not good to compromise because once you start the road of compromise, we know where that leads to. It just, it just unfurls itself. And um, 1 Peter <coughs> 5, chapter 2, tells us that we have a, a divine commission, especially as pastors, as elders, to shepherd the flock of God until the chief shepherd, who is Christ, returns or appears and, um, you know, we want to do that here in our church. And uh, we, we recognize all the false teaching that's out there, uh, the deep nature of Satan's lies, uh, the spiritual frab- fabrications that people come up with. And it's all to deceive. It's all to divide. It's ultimately meant to destroy God's people. That's how serious this is. And a lot of people don't understand that. And so, you know, oh, you're, you know, you're, you're calling out certain teachers or whatever, they'll get offended at that. But that's what we're supposed to do. Um, there, there's no reason not to do that if we know someone is not teaching the truth. The goal is to bring them back into a line with the Word of God. And uh, a faithful pastor or elder would proclaim the truth, and they will expose any error, and they'll do it with uh, kind of a, a fire, with a tenacity. They're not going to be willing just to back off on certain things. And the reason is because really people's eternity lies in the balance of this. There's a lot of people that are going to a lot of these um, big mega churches that are not being taught the gospel. They're not being taught the word of God. And, and frankly, they're, they're being uh, quickened on the path to hell, unfortunately. I'm not saying there's not Christians in those churches. Obviously there is. But the, the, the false teaching and, and some of the uh, unfortunate um, uh, just greed and things like that really uh, does not please God, okay? Uh, Pastor John Owen said this. He said, it is incumbent upon pastors to preserve the truth or doctrine of the gospel received and professed in the church and to defend it against all opposition. This is one principal end of ministry. And the sinful neglect of this duty is that which was the cause of the most 
pernicious heresies and errors that have infested and ruined the church. He says, those whose duty it was to preserve the doctrine of the gospel entire in the public profession of it have many of them spoken perverse things to draw away disciples after them, bishops, presbyters, public teachers, have been the ringleaders in heresies. Wherefore, this duty, especially at this time, and this was a long time ago, when the fundamental truths of the gospel are on all sides uh, impugned, impugned uh, from all sorts of adversaries, it is, is a special manner to be attended onto. And, and basically what he's saying is we have to take aggressive action sometimes to stand against all the heretics and the false teachers and all of their doctrines. And sometimes that's not comfortable, but that's what we're, we're called to do. We can't embrace, we can't tolerate error in the name of love, um, nor can we ignore it. You're just, you're not given that privilege. Um, Titus 1.9 says we are called to refute those who contradict the truth. It's very clear. And that's not just for pastors. You know, I know a lot of Christians who kind of put up with a lot of erroneous teachers' uh, teachings and doctrines and stuff from relatives and things like that, and they just don't want to get into it. Well, you should get into it. You should at least point out to them that, hey, you know what? I, maybe you shouldn't listen to this person. They're not the best, you know, uh, example or, or the best uh, person to listen to listen to when they're teaching the word of god and so we have to be be careful with that but look at verse 10 okay because we'll get to the text here he says at the end of verse 9 the lord rebuke you Uh, he wasn't even going to get in an argument he said hey the lord's going to take care of you and then in verse 10 he says but these people these people down in verse 14 he says uh these also about these and you, you, you look at this and you go well who who are is he talking about he mentions them in verse 12 he mentions them in verse 14 he mentions them in verse 16 he mentions them in verse 19 um, these are the, the the same people who these apostates that's who he's talking about he's going all the way back to verse 4 for certain people have crept in unnoticed and that's really what he is is pointing out these same people uh, turn the grace of our God, he says in verse 4, into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. These are people who undermine Christian faith. They undermine the Orthodox Christian doctrine. Uh, Verse 8, he talks about um, these dreamers. Um, Verse 10, those who revile these things which they don't understand. Uh, They don't understand it because they're spiritually ignorant they're spiritually ignorant Um, their minds are darkened most of these people are not even converted Um, that's hard to believe but it's it's most likely true because of what their actions are are living living it out Um, they're in spiritual darkness or in spiritual death they blaspheme the truth because they're spiritually ignorant, just like any other unbeliever would do. They don't get it. First um, Corinthians, turn over to First Corinthians real quick. First Corinthians chapter one. Paul wants to point this out in living color here in First Corinthians. <clears throat> and he says in verse 20 of chapter one, he says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater? of this age has not god made foolish the wisdom of the world for since in the wisdom of god the world did not know god through wisdom it pleased god through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe verse 22 for jews demand signs and greeks seek wisdom but what do we do paul says we preach christ what crucified a stumbling block to jews and a folly to the Gentiles. 24. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, 
For the foolishness of God is wiser than man, he says in verse 25, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. For consider your calling, brothers, he says. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But verse 27 says, but God chose what? What is foolish in the world to what? Shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is uh, low to despise and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Verse 30, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let one who boasts, boasts what? In the Lord. And he goes on to say down in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what? Folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, they're in a natural condition where they can't comprehend, they can't discern God's word because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They can't not understand the things of God. And he's speaking of people who sometimes are imposters, sometimes they're apostates, sometimes they have a liberal theology, some, some of them are cultists, some of them are just bold false teachers, false preachers, whatever, but they operate out of ignorance. Now, they would never tell you that. As a matter of fact, they tell you just the opposite, don't they? Oh, we, have, we are enlightened. We have the truth. And, you know, and they go on and they tell you why. But they, they blaspheme the word of God by their false teachings out of ignorance. And it goes on there back to, to, to uh, Jude in verse 10. He says, uh, these people, what do they do? They blaspheme all that they do not understand. Uh, they don't have any knowledge in spiritual things. Um, so they come up with their own story. They come up with their own truth. And then it says, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, this is how serious this is. This is the level that Jude puts them on. Like just unreasoning animals understand instinctively. And by these things, he says, they will be destroyed. Um, they, they do not listen to spiritual things. They do not function on, in true knowledge. They, do, they don't want anything to do with it. Second uh, Peter, remember this is kind of a commentary on Jude, Second Peter. In Second Peter chapter 2, he says they blaspheme where they have no knowledge. And if you stop and think about it, you can see this when you watch uh, documentaries around Easter, around Christmas, that talk about Jesus. On National Geographic or whatever. They have all these big you know, wigs with all these degrees behind, and they get up there and they start pontificating on, on how Jesus was when he was a child and what he did and how he's, all this stuff, and they make all this stuff up. They don't have any source of truth from it, you know. Uh, some of these people, oh, Jesus was married, and, and, and you know, he had kids. <laughs> they make up all this stuff. It's crazy. And, and this is what he's saying. He's saying they're just, they're just blaspheming God. They're, they're always learning. They have many degrees, but they're never able to come, the Bible says, to what? The knowledge of the truth. Because that's not how you come to the knowledge of the truth. It's not an academic venture. You know, you can't just take the Bible and say, you know what, I'm just going to memorize the whole Bible and learn it, and then I'll be a Christian. No. It doesn't work that way. Right? It's a spiritual transformation that God affects in the human heart. They function on things which they know, verse 10 says, by instinct, like unreasoning animals. In other words, they operate out of their own intuition, is what he's saying. Uh, they operate out of what interests them, their own instinct. That word instinct there is, is an interesting Greek word. It means without the benefit of reason. Or you could say without the benefit of any revelation. There's no spiritual insight for them because they don't have the Holy Spirit because they're not converted. 
And we're going to find out some of the examples that Paul uh, or, or that Jude uses tonight in, the, in our study and what he, who he compares them to. And you'll see the ties. Um, you'll, you'll see the, the lines just go right across. Uh, they don't have any knowledge of the truth. They're just kind of irrational, um, operating on pure instinct. Um, some commentators say that irrational, unreasoning animals instinctively, um, you know, it refers to sexuality. You know, there's no, there's no, uh, when, when, when an animal is, is uh, reproducing, they're not, you know, it's not like a, 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 a romantic thing or anything. It's just something instinct. They're just doing it instinctively. And he's saying, basically, they're relying so much on their, their flesh, because remember, they're immoral, right? We already went through that. They're insubordinate, and they're irreverent. And so they're void of the truth. And no matter how much they want you to think they are wise and profound and everything, they don't really know anything. What Jude is saying is they operate like dumb animals. That's, that's a pretty strong statement uh, to tell that to somebody. Um, in Romans chapter 1, you remember this verse, verse 22, it says they profess themselves to be wise. Other people aren't professing them to be wise, but they're professing themselves to be wise. They have become what? What's it say? Fools. They have become like fools. That word in the, in the Greek language for fool is moron. They're a bunch of morons. You know, that's, that's basically what the Word of God says. Um, now, back uh, to 10 here, what's, what's interesting is this word they know by by instinct, they know without a word um, is, is really the, the idea here. Um, in the original language, it's alaga, a-loga, no word, a takes away, it's a negative. Loga is for word. So they don't have any knowledge of the truth. They don't have any knowledge of the word. It, it negates the word that it follows. And so they're driven by what? They're not driven by the word of God. They're not driven by the Holy Spirit. They're, they're really driven by their sinful desires. They're, they're driven by their, their uh, insubordinate rebellion. They want to do things their own way. They're driven by their irreverence, as we've seen. They are natural men who cannot understand the things of God. Um, one commentator says, they're as ignorant as an ignorant donkey. <laughs> and this ignorance is so deep within them, it, it's so profound, um, that they can only just instinctively do what an animal would do. And, and that's why you see a lot, of, a lot of people who are set up this way, um, what basically happens is they... they eventually they unravel themselves. And you find out scandal after scandal after scandal, and they may be able to cover it up, but sooner or later it comes out, and everybody goes, wow, I never know, knew. Okay. Um, and in verse 10, at the end of verse 10, it says they will be basically killed by the same instinct that they're, they're, <laughs> they're following. Uh, they're going to be destroyed. This is the ultimate place where these apostates end up. And, and <coughs> we saw where in the Old Testament, uh, when people, Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, rebelled against God, remember, uh, what happens? They were wiped out. The children of Israel, they were wiped out in the desert. Um, and you had the angels who rebelled against God. They were cast into eternal hell, basically. And so when you, that's going to be their end. In that, in that place. The judgment of God always gets these people in the end. And that's why we don't have to take vengeance out on them. We just kind of want to warn people about them because we don't want people to follow that. Uh, we want to do what verse 3 says, earnestly contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints against those people who have crept in unnoticed. And that's what we, we want to do. Uh, and so we, we've seen examples where these apostates were in Israel, um, they were in Sodom and Gomorrah, they were the angels, they were all destroyed. But tonight, in verse 11, <coughs> he says, he gives us basically three examples that these false teachers would follow. This is kind of a, a characteristic that you could, 
could look for. And the first one he lists there in verse 11, he says, Woe to them, for they walked, these, these apostate false teachers, they walked in the way of who? Cain. All right? And, and this is basically the application of, of God's truth. Uh, there was an American poet who said, those who cannot remember the past are what? Anybody condemned to repeat it? Right. Okay. And so it, it's so important that we draw from biblical history and we look back and what Jude is doing here, he's sketching this portrait of these examples that these individuals follows, followed. And in verses five to seven, we, we saw what he did there. He p- painted out their their attitudes and everything. And now he says, these are examples, real life examples from real history of what will happen when you go down this road. And, and these are progressive, by the way. When he says, look at verse 11, we'll just read it. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, that's the first one, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, that's the second one, and perished in Korah's rebellion, that's the third one. So he gives three more examples. Of, of these apostates' uh, characteristics and, and people that, that are like them. And so the first one here is Cain. Um, and, and when he says there, woe to them, he's basically following the example of Christ. Okay, He's following the example of the Old Testament prophets. What they did is, is they would pronounce woe on somebody. It's, it's kind of like, you know what? You don't even understand how horrible it's going to be for you. Woe on you. That's what, that's what uh, Jude is saying here. <clears throat> and he wants them to understand that it's an emotional cry, but, it, but it's also a reality. These people will go under severe judgment by God for their immorality, for their insubordination, and for their irreverence. And so Cain was basically the, the model of the guy who departed from God's truth. And you go all the way back, go all the way back to Genesis chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4, and we'll see this. He was the first child of Adam and Eve. We know that. Um, And he was born after the fall. And in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 15, we'll just read this. It's a little lengthy, but just follow along because I want you to understand the picture here that, that Jude is trying to give us. In verse 1 of, of Genesis 4, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Verse 2, And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. And the reason was is because Cain knew what he was supposed to do. God apparently had made it very clear to them. That's why Abel did this. That's why Abel brought a uh, sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. And Cain thought, ah, you know what? I'm just going to do it my own way. This this what this what happens when these apostate teachers start, you know, they, they they'll end up with a mega church and then pretty soon they're not even doing things according to the Bible anymore. They're just doing whatever they want. And this is what Cain did. He just kind of basically said, ah, I'm just going to bring the grain and be easier. Uh, he had no regard and, and the Lord had no regard for his offering because it was a direct violation of what he knew to do. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Verse six. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? Can you imagine God asking you that question? You know, it, it, sometimes it reminds me, sometimes people say, hey, are you okay? Is everything going? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. When there's really, you're really not fine, you know, but they don't know that. So you can't do that with God because God knows your heart. So he says, hey, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? Verse seven, if you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, hey, you know what? You, you know what to do and you didn't do it. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must, great verse, rule over it. You know, sin is not something that we blame on Satan. 
Sin is something that we choose to do when given the opportunity. We choose not to walk away. We choose not to provide. God says he will not tempt us beyond what we're able to bear. He'll always provide, be faithful to provide a way out. We don't choose the way out. Why? Because we love the sin. <laughs> it's very simple. It's not any more difficult than that. And so God is being patient with Cain here, and he's saying, hey, you know what? Um, just do the right thing here, pal. But you have to rule over this because sin is crouching at your door. Verse 8, Cain spoke to, his <coughs> to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, look at this, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Isn't that crazy? I mean, just out of nowhere, you would think. And then the Lord said to Cain, oh, where's, your, where's Abel, your brother? You'd think Cain would figure it out by now. You know, God has the answers. Um, sometimes when their grandkids were little, you know, they'd, they'd be doing something, and I'd have to ask them a question, and I'd start to ask them a question, and I'd stop in the middle of the question, and I'd say, I just want you to understand, I already know the answer to the question I'm asking you, so don't lie. <laughs> and they're, oh, you know? <laughs> so it was just kind of a little warning to them, right? It's just a little hint there. And so here... He rises up against Abel. He kills him. And the Lord said, where's Abel, your brother? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? So he lies to God. And then the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Verse 12, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. In other words, Cain was just an incredible, you could say, farmer. I mean, he just had a green thumb. Well, no longer. Now he's going to have to really work for it. Um, he says, you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. And then the Lord said to him, not so, <laughs> you wish, but not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone, any who found him, should attack him. So God kind of marks him off and says, hey, this guy's off limits. He's going to have to live with this the rest of his life. And so the fact that, that Cain's sacrifice was unacceptable demands uh, basically that God had previously told him what a proper sacrifice was. And Cain knew what God required. He, he knew that God required a blood sacrifice, but what did he do? He just invented his own kind of worship. It was very inappropriate. Um, and it, it really revealed the blasphemy in his own heart as he rejected God's revelation and he operated on his own self-styled instinct and, and pride uh, what, whatever he wanted to do. And, and unfortunately, um, Jude could refer to proud, self-willed apostates as those who have gone along the way of Cain. They've just gone along with it. Uh, Cain was religious, right? But he was disobedient. There's a lot of churches that meet every Sunday. They're very religious people. But unfortunately, they're not doing things according to the Bible. Um, and and it's, it's unfortunate. They've gone the way of Cain. And uh, a lot of these people who are false teachers, when you confront them, you see this kind of anger. I mean, they may not kill you, but uh, they may want to. I, I heard uh, John MacArthur in one of his messages, he was on PTL or whatever, one of those shows, and he was being, he was, or no, they're on PTL, they were talking about his, the, the strange fire conference or something, and one of the evangelists said, I wish I had my Holy Ghost shotgun, I'd blow his brains out. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that, that is so, I mean, it's just like Cain. He's being confronted with, you know, his heretical teaching, he doesn't like it. And that's why a lot of, 
a lot of pastors, a lot of churches, unfortunately, they won't teach on doctrine. They won't draw the line in the sand because they don't want to offend anybody and they just want to cozy up to everybody and love rules the day. Well, in the end, uh, they, they'll get their own. But in Hebrews chapter 11, he mentions this too. In verse 4, it says, By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gift, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. And so the idea is here is that we need to make sure that what we're doing to the Lord in the area of worship is honoring and fulfilling what Scripture says. We don't get to choose our own you know, uh, path on this. God has given us everything we need to know as a church on how to operate and how to function. What happens is, is people look at the Word of God and they say, well, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with women pastors. Well, the Word of God says no. I mean, it's not a, it's not a thing on women. It's just the way God set it up. So you can argue that till the cows come home, but either you're going to obey that or you're not. It's, it's that simple. And so there's a lot of churches today that have compromised that, unfortunately. And, and I think that it's not honoring to God. So Cain was the first one. Remember, I said these are progressive. And the second one is Balaam. And this speaks of the sinful ambition in God's work. Okay, not so much the whole... Uh, um, application of God's word but his work and what's interesting about the story of Balaam and we're not going to spend too much time here but it says and, and for pay the New American Standard says they have rushed headlong into the error of Balaam so with with Cain they're just kind of it was Cain and Cain alone and he sinned and that was it well now all of a sudden you come to Balaam and here he unmasked the fundamental motive behind a lot of religious false teachers um, they do it for what pay they do it for money they do it for money um, unlike god's true shepherds what happens is they, they they basically follow the error of balaam and they rush headlong into envy and greed and uh, back in uh, uh, numbers chapter 22 through 24 and some other references in chapter 31, you can read about Balaam. And basically, I'll just summarize it. There was a, a king, um, Balak, who had uh, hired uh, uh, Balaam to curse Israel. He was a, a um, uh, you could say, a prophet for hire. You know, that's what, what, what he, was, he was doing. And so he was hired to curse Israel, but... Balaam had too much fear of Israel's God to do that. So he didn't know what to do. And he thought, I know what I'll do. I'll create a scenario where Israel will uh, basically go down the wrong path. And, uh, and then God will have to curse them <laughs> because of their disobedience. And so this is how devious this plan was. And so Balaam devised a plan by which he could lure Israel into idolatry and immorality and ultimately being judged by God, the plan actually worked, okay? And uh, God used an angel along with Balaam's own donkey to prevent him from carrying out the, his, his plan. But in the end, uh, it says in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who, listen, loved gain for wrongdoing. All right? He loved gain for wrongdoing. But he was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Um, you know, he was a prophet for hire. That's what this guy was. And he's the prime illustration of these false teachers. A false teacher, generally, they'll love their wealth. They love their prestige. They love it much more than being faithful or being a servant or being obedient to the word of God. Uh, you know, it's all about the money. It's all about the money. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, it also brings up Balaam. It says, but I have a few things, speaking of the church of Pergamon there, he says, I have a few things against you. You have 
who have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a, a stumbling uh, a block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. And so he basically did this for greed. Uh, this is how devious he was. He wanted to do this so that Israel would be uh, brought down and then have to deal with judgment from God. And therefore, he would fulfill his obligation to Balak. Uh, and so, false teachers are very much connected to money. Money. Because you'd, you'd think, I mean, if they don't have the Spirit of God, if they're not really in this um, genuinely to help people, if they're just all about themselves, you would think, why don't you just go get another job? Why do you have to play in this religious area, right? Why do they do that? I mean, I, mean, I, I always wondered that. I mean, why would they just go do something else? No, because they make money doing it. It's a great opportunity for them to make money. They get tax exempt. They're just, I mean, and they make money hand over fist, some of these people. You know, um, when Kasi Hinn was here, who's the, the nephew of Benny Hinn, he told us, when he, they used to go to India and do these crusades and, and take all this money from these poor people. I mean, millions and millions of dollars. And then on their way home, they stop in Dubai and spend the night, several nights at the $30,000 a night, uh, that hotel that's got the sale on it. I, I can't even believe that. I mean, I can't even believe somebody would be so callous to do that. This shows you where these people are at. They don't have a, 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 a genuine interest in helping people. It's all a facade, you know, uh, and, and we have to be aware of that. And, and we have to be willing to stand up against that. And they reject the word of God. And, and the false teachers of, of, of Peter's day refused to walk in obedience. Instead, they, they would wander away even in spite of eternal consequences. They're not worried about that. It's all about the here and now. That's why you can, you can write a book called Your Best Life Now and make millions and millions of dollars. And when, you know what? This isn't our best life. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's a, just an outright lie. But people flock to it. They want their ears tickled. They like the smile. They like the pearly white teeth. They like the music. They like this. They like that. It doesn't matter. What well, does matter? And we have to be willing to stand up again. The story of Balaam is really the classic example of a prophet who was motivated by financial gain. Financial gain. And um, it, it's, it's, it's tragic, um, but it's, it, it's, 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 it's what happened. And then he, he thirdly, he moves on from, from uh, Balaam, and he talks about this rebellion that happened, Korah's rebellion. And so, you know, you can, you can read this on your own in, in number 16. Um, we'll read a little bit of it, but uh, it's, it's an interesting part of, of Scripture because um, you see the progression. Cain was an individual who sinned, and then you have... Balaam, who basically affected other people and kind of brought them along with him. And now you have uh, Korah, who, uh, verse 1 of, of number 16, says he was the, the son of Izhar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, Dan, and Abraham, his sons. And it goes down there. And it says in verse 2, they rose up before Moses with a number of, of people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation. Now remember what's going on here. They're, they're assembling themselves together against Moses. Who is God's representative in Israel? Moses. So really, they're, they're taking a stand against God. They don't even know that, but that's what they're doing. And they assembled themselves against Moses and against Aaron, and they said this to them in verse 3, You have gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Okay, so they started a gripe about their leadership, about their authority, 
Um, he's just looking for, for a way to, to wedge his self in there, a little crack, and start to divide and conquer. In verse 4, look at what happens. When Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this, take censers, Korah and all his company, verse 7, put fire in them, put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow, and the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the holy one. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it a too small a thing? For you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them and that he has brought you near him and all your brothers and sons of Levi with you. And would you seek the priesthood also? In other words, how far are you going to go? Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together what is Aaron that you grumble against him? In verse 12, And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abraham the sons of Eliab, Eliab and, and said to them, We will not, and they said to him, We will not come up. So they're, they're just ignoring it. Once again, you see the irreverence um, toward authority here. Verse 13, is, is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing of milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? that you must also make yourself a prince over us. So it's classic grumbling, right? They're, they're just saying, hey, who, who do you think you are, Moses? Verse 14, Moreover, you have not brought us into the land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. So they're just blatantly refusing. And Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them. I have not harmed one of them. And Moses said to Korah, be present, you and all your company before the Lord, you and they and Aaron tomorrow. Verse 17, and let every one of you take his censer and put incense on it. And every one of you bring before the Lord his censer. 250 censers, you also, and Aaron with his censer. So every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of the meeting with Moses and Aaron. So you have a big showdown here. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. Wow. Verse 20, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation. In other words, you might want to step back, Moses and Aaron, because something's going to happen. Separate yourselves from this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. I'm going to give you a couple minutes here. Step away. And they fell on their faces and said, O oh God, the God of the spirits of flesh, shall one man sin? And will, will you be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. In other words, okay, you know what? Uh, stay away from these three. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all of their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abram, and, and Dathan and Abram came out and stood at the door of the tents together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive to Sheol or hell, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. So he, he basically, the classic setup here, he's just saying, okay. In verse 31, and as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, 
Look at what happens. The ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with all of their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all of their goods, so that they and all that, that belonged to them went alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished in the midst of the assembly. And look at the outcome, verse 34. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up as well. And the fire came out of the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. And it goes down there. We're not going to read the whole thing, but it's, it's amazing that that's how serious God takes this kind of stuff. And you wonder, well, was that it? Was that, is, that, is that basically how big was this rebellion? Was it, was it just that? Well, almost 15,000 people died later in a subsequent plague as a judgment on this rebellion. So it was a very effective rebellion, um, but it, it didn't go very far. <laughs> um, and that's what these apostates do. They're all about influence. Um, they they, they want to influence people, and here they, they do it in a wrong way. Balaam gets many people seduced, um, but here we have 15,000 people, all right, lost their lives as a result of this. And so God takes this very seriously, and when you think of Cain and when you think of Balaam and, and this thing with Korah, these are all pictures back to Jude, that he's showing us this is what is going to be their fate. This is where you end up when you go off this path. And uh, I like what uh, John MacArthur points out. He says, in John, er, in, in John 14, 6, it says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And here's what he says about that. He says, as you're studying this, he says, they exchanged the way of Christ for the way of Cain. They exchanged the truth of Christ for the error of Balaam. And they exchanged the life of Christ for the destruction of of Korah. They've just against they've, they've gone against the grain of everything Christ came to do. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. And that's what apostates do. They choose the way of Cain over Christ, the error of Balaam over the truth of Christ. And they would rather just go along with the destruction of Korah and the rebellion of Korah than uh, sacrifice and, and live for the life of Christ. And so w- when you look at, at, at this Verse 11 here, when he says, woe to them, all right? He's not talking about Cain, Balaam, or Korah. He's not talking about them. He's talking about these people back in verse 4, the people that were long before marked out for condemnation, these false teachers, these apostates. Um, and, and that's what will happen to them. And so it's, it's very... Um, hard to read words like that and to teach on things like this but you know what this is how serious it is to understand the truth of scripture and to apply it properly okay that's why the bible tells us if someone's going to teach and they teach the word of god they better be very 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 careful okay uh you know that they're they're teaching it according to what the scripture says because it's there's a serious judgment for those who would stand before people, take the word of God, and pervert it, even mistakenly, I think. But there are people that do it willfully. They do it intently. They, they do it to, to get gain from people. That's the whole, the whole Ponzi scheme they have set up for themselves. And so you have to remember, just woe to them. And, and we want to make sure that you know, how do you prevent this? How do you, you know, you get into the Word of God. You begin to understand the Word of God for your own. I mean, it doesn't matter who's teaching, behind where, whether it's here or whether it's Sunday morning. You know, don't just take it, oh, I guess, well, the pastor said it, I guess it's true. No. Okay, I mean, there are, there, there are even Sundays when, you know, I'll say, you know, stupid things like, you know, over in Ephesians chapter 7, well, there is no chapter 7 in Ephesians, you know, it's just in my head, right? So it's just something that slips out. And, you know, I'm thankful that I'm in a church where not only my wife, but, you know, three or four other people, hey, you know, Pastor, you said this, you know, just to make sure we understand. No, you're right, you know. So that, that's an innocent mistake. Can you imagine standing in front of people and willfully uh, misguiding them and willfully 
just sharing with them untruth upon untruth, whether it's visions that you've had or lies of how God has healed this or done this or whatever. Um, you know, it's all to gain their support and ultimately so they could reach into their pocket and take the money. That's what they're after. All you got to do is follow the money. Follow the money. Um, next week, we'll look at the, the uh, or in a couple weeks, we'll look at these examples, the three examples that follow this uh, in 12 to, to 16 there. But um, kind, of a, kind of an intense part of Scripture, but I think it's very well needed. So um, let's close in a word of prayer, and then uh, we can have some fellowship. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the truth, that you, we do have a Bible, we can call it our own, that we can read it and, and ask you to help us to understand it. Lord, we don't need to um, just rely on, on whoever is telling us what to believe. We don't believe that. We believe that we should be Bereans, that we should dig into the word for ourselves to see if, if what is being taught is, is so. And, and Lord, we pray that as, as Christians, whether we're old in the Lord or whether we're relatively new, Lord, we pray that you would um, lead us and you would guide us and you would give us wisdom on, on what scriptures to read and how to read it. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just play Russian roulette with the scriptures and open it up and see what it says today and open it up tomorrow, but we would systematically read through the Bible and see it in its entirety so that we could put it in our hearts and our minds so when those temptations come, when those struggles come, when those tribulations come, that we have the word of God, we have a deep well to draw from um, in, in answer to whatever comes into our life. And Lord, that's really the, the cause of spiritual growth and maturity is, is digging deep into God's word. So whether we're listening to sermons online or whether we're listening to sermons in person or reading books or whatever it might be, Lord, even listening to music, cause us to be discerning. Help us to understand what it's saying and does it line up with Scripture. And so, Lord, we thank you and we pray if there's any here tonight who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, um, Lord, um, we know that you're just a prayer away. Lord, it's just a matter of us admitting that we need you, that we are a sinner and, and we uh, need your forgiveness. And we know that Christ came to provide that forgiveness as he died on the cross for our sins. And, and as we put our faith and our trust in Christ, in Christ alone, and cry out to him, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me from my sin. Forgive me of my sin. Uh, Lord, he will, Lord, you will do that. You will save that individual, and you will give them a, the Holy Spirit, and you'll give them the ability to discern your word and understand it fully and apply it to their own lives. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, tonight as well. And we just pray you give us a safe trip home and uh, bless our fellowship now. In Jesus' precious name, amen.